2: I think I'm learning that actually putting members really at the center of what's happening in the community and putting them in the driver's seat is the new phase really. Because in the beginning, I was like, wait, we're charging people. We shouldn't be giving them things to do. But now actually people are like revving up. They're like, no, no, no. I want to be at the center of this. And I'm finding that our members, this has been like a major catalyst for them. They're like, yeah, this is it.
0: Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am Jillian Benbow, and I am the host of the show. And today I am so excited to talk to Geraldine Wari, who founded the Trend Atelier Community, which is a community for trend forecasters or future forecasters to come together in a membership and get to talk all the things that future forecasters talk about. Her members are mostly independent. So they're not working for big agencies. And that is very much the model in this world. So it's kind of this opportunity to get people together. And as she says, and I love this, to to geek out on data and quantitative foresight. So what is future forecasting? What is trend forecasting? If you'd asked me before I'd met Geraldine, I would assume it had to do with like, what's going to be in vogue for upcoming fall fashions, that kind of thing, but it's much more big picture and it's much more in the future. So it's things like in 10 years, what's going to be important to consumers based on society? Like what what will be our priorities? And therefore, what will we be looking for in products, in clothing, fashion, et cetera? Um, Geraldine explains a lot better than I can. I'm still it's like the metaverse. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what this means. So I will let her explain it. You will hear her much better explanation at the beginning of the interview. And then we're going to talk about specifically the community that she's built, why she built it, why it's special, um, and kind of get into the weeds a little bit, which, you know, I love to just talk about how she figured out what kind of programming made the most sense for her community, especially because the members of her community are researchers. They like to read and think and analyze. And so community engagement for that sort of group is going to look different than some other communities where you expect people to be having a lot of forum-based conversations and that kind of thing. This is not how it works in her community. And she's found a way to have quality, high value engagement for the type of member avatar that joins her community. So let's get into it with Geraldine Worry of Trend Atelier. Welcome back to the community experience. I'm here today with Geraldine Worry, who started Trend Atelier and also the Trend Atelier community. Before we started recording, I said I was going to go full French with that word, and then I didn't do it. I chickened out. So I'll let you do that. But welcome to the show, Geraldine. I would love you to tell us just who you are and and what you're doing, because it's just so fascinating and I'm so excited.
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I really love your podcast. So I was really honored to be invited. And yes, my name is Geraldine Mori and it's Trend Atelier, but you know, we're a global community. So we accept all ways of pronouncing it and what do I do? That's a really good question. I'm a fashion futurist. And I guess you could say that for a long time, my title was trend forecaster. And prior to that, I was a fashion designer and design director for big brands in the US although I'm originally from Paris. But anyways, so I have a bit of a windy road and what I do is basically advise brands and institutions on the future. And I specialize more in macro trends. So two to five year predictions, but I've gone even much farther to like 30 year predictions or looking even at the end of the century. So my work sometimes gets quite speculative and creative. So that's kind of the the niche Part of future foresight that I'm a part of because there's it's actually quite a layered and broad niche industry, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I love you mentioned this in some of the documents we have that you sent over before the show that, you know, it can be interesting telling someone what you do. You know, if you're at a cocktail party and depending who it is, explaining what you do, because I feel that deeply with community. (laughs) I can only imagine with futures, like forecasting. And I want to clarify for the audience, because this is what I got held up on, but also found just so fascinating is this isn't the like, oh, an A-line dresses are coming back. It's not that like, because when I think of like fashion trends, right? It's like, what's hot for fall? It's not that, it's more big picture, correct?
2: Yeah, Yeah, yes, because it's really interesting Well, there's different ways of responding to this. Number one, people don't know that actually fashion is very much influenced by society, cultural changes, behaviors. It's also very much influenced by technology. And even when we look at the suppliers and manufacturers that supply goods to designers, they actually work quite far ahead of time, like several years ahead of time. So that's where the sort of the long view happens with fashion on a broad scale. And especially when it comes to active or the sports industry, the performance industry, they're like quite far ahead in terms of fabrics, technology and everything. But as you know, like fashion is very linked to marketing and culture. And so people are always looking Uh, the way we interact with fashion. We can even just look at the metaverse now and how everyone is talking about digital fashion. This is something that I was talking about years ago in Forecast when it was just bubbling up. So our job is to kind of tell brands or institutions, hey, this is bubbling up and so this is what's next because actually you may not think that people are going to have a taste for digital fashion for their avatar but actually they will and this is why because xyz is happening in society and essentially fashion is a mirror of society and one in six people in the world are employed in the fashion industry. So that's kind of, when there's a preference in color, it stems from something also happening in society, a mood. So when there's a preference in brights and and sparkling fabrics, often that stems from also something happening in society. So I tend to be the person that talks about that rather than like, what's the next skirt shape? I
0: have so many questions that could just derail the point of this show. So I will try to not go there, I might just email you. (laughs) So one question that's popping in my head is, and I realize, you know, whether the the pandemic was predictable or not, like not that aside, do you think just everything that's happened in the last couple of years globally, that has really, do you think that's shifting what trends you've been looking at in the future? Do you think that will change what you had originally kind of seen coming? Has it kind of like caused a pivot?
2: For me personally, no, because I've been predicting things like climate change and how it would affect our consuming preferences and just ways of designing for many years now. My first forecast around that I put out in 2013 or 2014, and it was called Refuge. And I looked at different ways, the way we would dress, but also interact with clothing, even down to how we would use biomaterials. So for me personally, I've been talking about this for a long time, but now it's kind of reached a tipping point where it's really in the mainstream. And when I was presenting these forecasts at seminars or events or even online, or, you know, through articles, through just the different channels, I used to use people would often ask me, do you think sustainability is a trend? And I'm just using uh, sustainability as just one aspect because that's like the big term we use in fashion. And I would say, no, actually it's underpinning everything the same way AI, for example, is going to underpin everything. But when these things are emerging, people often wonder if they're just passing trends. But what I'm noticing now is that it's very much reaching the mainstream, obviously, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. But I think it's a bit like um, peeling onions, you know, with your understanding of future trends, like a, a trend begins, maybe it's just people pioneers who are really at the forefront of that trend and, and who are ahead of the curve. And your job as a forecaster is or futurist is to really be able to identify who are these people on the fringe, who are those subcultures, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, What's been happening is that now what's on the fringe of something like how do we design more sustainably is looking more at new economic systems, et cetera, et cetera, or repair or reuse. How do we decouple manufacturing more with profit? So what's probably evolved more is a more systemic approach And I think what has come more to the forefront are issues around inclusivity and diversity, obviously, as well. Because I tend to focus quite a few years ahead, I tend to pick up on these things before everyone else sort of talks about them.
0: That's so fascinating because I feel like the supply chain issues that started with the pandemic and are still lingering seem to have accelerated how we as consumers talk about consumerism sustainability, and that kind of thing. I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes who maybe didn't realize just how global some things were. And also just with the rise of brands like Sheen, where you're just buying direct. Um, and, you know, it's coming from Hong Kong, and then it's getting stuck at a port for a month. And it's so against our Amazon Prime two-day delivery habits that we've gotten into. It's, I think it's kind of caused... Cost- some people to kind of reassess, you know, and say like, huh, wow, that's coming all the way from Hong Kong. Plus there's supply chain delays, etc. Maybe I don't need that sweater. Maybe I don't need to, you know, oh, it's so cheap, but like the carbon footprint is so large. At least I hope.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. I guess sometimes you have these big events, these sort of black swan events that many didn't predict that end up being like, Tipping points. And uh, very often in my forecast, I have a section called wild cards, where, for example, we know that the trend for buying local was emerging and was gaining traction, but what happened with the pandemic accelerated this. We know that there was already a taste for digital fashion and avatars, but what happened with the pandemic accelerated this. We know that brick and mortar stores were struggling, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, what I like to talk about wild cards and, Years ago, I had a wild card called scarcity behaviors. And I talked about what would happen if we're starting to run out of water, if water becomes a thing and now that's what we're seeing around the world and that's obviously going to affect the supply chain as well so that's why i felt the need to kind of explain and send you that little video before the podcast cuz like i was like you know i just want to preface i'm not that like traditional trend forecaster as much as i understand you know the need for that i actually think that the scale of the issues happening in the world right now require more than ever this really long-term view and that's why also i created the trend at to community not just to like just talk about myself but as the founder i sensed a need where a lot of my fellow forecasters and or designers who really put future foresight at the center of their work were Having these conversations and needing a place to figure out what do we do next? Because basically, future foresight is encouraging people to make something new, to produce something new. We say to brands, to people, here's what's next. Go chase it. But, you know, the, our paradigm is changing.
0: And so that brings up a, a fantastic segue into the community you created because there are two things that really jumped out at me was one, this, industry you mentioned was there was a lot of gatekeeping it was very hard to get into and maybe like share information so there was that piece but then also to what you just said you really focus on environmental factors sustainability but also you know what's happening in society social justice that sort of thing so you're kind of you kind of have this niche view it sounds like in the in the very broad scheme of people doing this future foresight i'm trying to get the lingo down so tell me about how like how did this community come about other than you saw a need for it but also i'm assuming you wanted a place for people to be able to come together and safely talk about these things but like share like knowledge share in a in an environment that maybe didn't exist before
2: So I was doing forecasts and I was doing trend seminars. And then I got interviewed on the future foresight methodologies. So that was like my first inkling on the high demand for knowing more about future foresight methodologies. And then I had a point where I had like this retainer contract that ended. And I had a pocket of time to just finally be able to deliver these future foresight classes that i had started developing for universities or seminars on the side of my consultant work for people who had been demanding they they're online but the byproduct of that, because I decided that we should have monthly live sessions, is that people would come together from the Trendatilia school once a month from around the world and conversations would start to go in different places. Like, how do I get recognized for my work and fairly paid? Because my work is so time intensive. Cause obviously we are t- technically like researchers and almost like doctors and anthropologists of the future but also how do I talk to my clients about producing less and producing sustainably? How do I convince them? I know this is important, I know this is the future, but they're not really listening to me. Just like so many questions. And then on the flip side of that, I was also doing keynotes, talking at trade shows, uh, events, et cetera, or delivering forecasts that were PDF. And I was finding the format really prescriptive. And I was noticing that through active learning and ways of workshopping or questioning or or involving people, that actually maybe I would have a greater impact because I guess that's like maybe slightly manipulative. My idea was like, you know, how do we make an impact? How would we convince people of the direction they need to take? So long story short, I was talking about this to a coach at the time, a business coach I was working with and I was telling him about my dream of doing, delivering future foresight that would be interactive, that would be a learning experience, and that would allow people to trial new methodologies, but also discuss future trend themes. It was a big ask. It was a big, very ambitious. And the coach was like, you should look up these community platforms that are emerging. And that was it, that was it. And then the pandemic was born and all of these people I was helping support, we were coming together online and I was like, that's it. Do you wanna join? I'm putting out this community and beta testing. And this is what we're gonna try off. So for about six months, the future trend forecasters or designers who were very focused on the future, I selected maybe there were only like 15 of us and we got together and they helped me shape Than when we were ready to like go live, which was in early 2021. And so that's kind of how we were born. And I would say that now I'm at a stage where I'm wanting to combine the school and the community even more. And so there's certain things we're piloting right now that I can't really talk about, but I'm really excited about making this an increasingly what I call co-creative process and really putting also the the members in the driver's seat of what we do, because we have so much talent in the community. And obviously, I'm someone who's quite plugged into innovation. So I look at what DAOs are doing or what's happening on the blockchain, and I don't want to power the community with the crypto. I don't necessarily want to create a DAO on the blockchain, but I am really interested in these kind of decentralized models. And so- I feel like I just rambled a bit, but that's kind of like how it came about. But it's like literally peeling an onion. I mean, it's constantly evolving and it's it's an iterative process and it requires a ton of listening from the members. And now with our, you know, I just feel more strongly than ever from listening to the members that we need to really focus a lot on social and climate justice because that's all they really care about increasingly. That's
0: amazing. It's so fortunate these community platforms are just such a game changer. Like their evolution in the last 10ish years to to give someone like yourself and a business like yours a a place to gather and it's I mean it's life-changing for so many people because you can have these global communities of specific, you know, types of people in fields or whatever it is and come together and collaborate. And hopefully, hopefully things, you know, it's like a glimmer of hope for humanity. We can have people come together and really accelerate the thinking and the ways of doing things.
2: And I feel like I didn't fully answer your, this section where you said it was gated. I mean, there are amazing future trend agencies, but oftentimes if you're an independent, it's really hard to break through. And it's really hard to have access to like high quality future trend insights. These future trend reports or insight platforms where you get a lot of trend news are incredibly costly. There's a lot of barrages also in terms of feeling recognized, feeling well remunerated for their work. I found that actually, yes, I could have gone for a company that is B2B but I felt like B to I, I mean, B to individual was much more powerful. And I wanted everyone to to feel like they could have an impact in this future foresight industry, if that makes sense, and have access to like a ton of resources because it can get quite, a lonely job. And that's the thing about community. You enter with a type of focus, whether it's like, I remember this reading about this woman who had a community that uh, deals with copper deficiency in goats. You know, like you can get very niche, but through that, you end up discovering people who. Have self confidence issue, who don't know how to price themselves, who don't have support, can't afford a business coach. Like maybe have are neurodivergent. Or, you know, you discover so many other things, and community becomes something that you can't scale. That is really about like listening to the individual, and and our industry is generally about listening to the brands and just making these big reports and helping brands make money. And I kind of tried to look at it from a different angle. How can we help individuals in the foresight industry make an impact so that we put in place more sustainable ways of living and thriving? That's the ambition, I guess.
0: I love it. It's funny, too. It's ironic, I think, in a way that, I mean, you're very much creating like a decentralized marketplace in a way, like you're getting away from the, the big agency ways that have the expensive reports and whatnot and creating the kind of modern version of it the future version the futurist version of futurism if you will
2: the way i envision it is you're attending a future trend presentation that sort of lubricates your thinking gives you new ideas gives you access to to new projects or ideas you hadn't known that will feed your idea around this future trend and then on top of that you're workshopping on the methods to even further implement this or sharing methods of how we came up with these future trends. Because ultimately something I didn't say in the interview is that I really believe ultimately that we will all be somewhat futurists, That. Hopefully in future generations, not too far from now, we will all understand better how important it is to have the future in mind when we make decisions and that maybe even future foresight will be something that will be taught at school. And this is something the UN is already doing. They have a whole futures literacy program for children and teenagers. And even ancient wisdoms called for always thinking multiple generations ahead. So I'm hoping that it sounds maybe a little bit weird, but people have criticized me in the past for sharing too much, sharing like what my little secrets of how I do what I do. And I'm like, no, that's the whole point. Everyone should know what I do.
0: You know, and it, it it's funny because it reminds me very much of like old school business mentalities versus kind of where we are now with this shift be it the great resignation people leaving corporate jobs to be creators in their own way be con- you know become consultants and kind of work on their own terms it's this all these companies that are demanding their employees come back to the office after 2 years of remote work for the pandemic and people saying no this is great we want to do this you need to listen to us or we're leaving And that's such a mind shift i think for larger companies but a lot of us i think are realizing yeah that works for them but for me what would be great (laughs) is just having real conversations with real people and coming up with like a very well thought out solution like it's better
2: yeah and it's challenging because it requires thinking of a whole new business model and a completely different community architecture and obviously as the as the founder of the tranatoli we do need money So we do need funding. So that's something that, you know, I'm trying to map out what that would look like. And even just, you know, I know you've had episodes about founder burnout or like the mindfulness and wellness needed to be a community founder, it's so much work. So I'm thinking about the legacy and the work of the community, but also within that, like, where do I fit in? So there's a lot of moving parts but creating this community, creating the school was game changing because it was a big success. And I didn't even promote it that much because I'm a busy consultant, but it I was very eye opening. But then what the community did was like, it was it was a game changer in my life, really. It's been a, a ton of work and at times really tiring and very demanding, but it's also on a human centered level been transformative, really.
0: I'm curious if if you're comfortable sharing just a little bit about your pricing model. Is your community free or is it a paid community?
2: So it's a paid community.
0: I'm very happy to hear that.
2: Yeah, there is a value to what we bring. And let's be honest, nowadays people are paying for a podcast, five pounds or $5 a month. I'm in the UK, so I'm saying pounds. But I mean, I think what we offer is transformative. We're helping people refine their careers. We're helping them get jobs. We're helping them connect. I mean, we are creating indirectly a form of wealth for others and we need funding as well so that it was never going to be a free community the first few weeks we allowed our students to surf through it like for like a month and then we we said that's it now is you've had a chance to look at it but it is still very moderately priced because our members are not companies they're individuals but every time we reopen we raise the price And we have discounts for educators and for activists. We don't have really many students, but we have a few members who might have gone back to school. They're doing a master's. And then I might say, hey, do you need like a little discount? And then in some cases, you know, we look case by case if a member is like a single mom and, and needs some support. So we are very human, you know, we're not trying to like be... Cut and dry, but it, it's really challenging. Like the the ROI and the and the pricing thing is challenging.
0: Yeah, it's always hard, and I think it's very easy to worry. You know, oh, this is too much. Like I I don't feel right. But you also have to think about what you're providing, and then also the the amount of money you can put towards hiring help or, you know, those kind of things. So you don't burn out. So it is, it's a tricky tightrope to walk. Absolutely.
2: It requires a kind of self-worth. Like I'm a member of, of communities where I pay and I don't go in that often, but when I do, I get so much that it's worth even the two or three months I wasn't in it because I know my time is worth a certain amount. And I make the calculations and I'm like, this is totally worth it. But not everyone is in that kind of money mindset. It's just so interesting to me, the whole money mindset thing. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Right?
0: (laughs) It's super fascinating. It really is. I mean, we see that in in pro. There's People come at it different ways. Some people join and are like, oh, I just put money on the table and join, and magically the issues in my business will go away. And then we have the extreme opposite. We have members like yourself that sometimes I'm like, are they still here? And then I'll check in and they're like, yeah, I'm great. You know, I pop in when I need it. And otherwise, like, I'm busy with my business. I'm like, awesome. Good to know. Good to talk to you. Like, it's the whole gambit. And it's one of those lovely things about communities and kind of like, member avatars, if you will, like the different ways people engage, but also how they think about it financially, you know, as far as like what sort of investment it is.
2: With the kind of work I do, and I noticed it with a lot of our members during the day, we read a lot, we research a lot, we read a lot of articles, we we listen to a lot of podcasts, we go to conferences, events. So our bandwidth for commenting online and interacting online on our spare time is not very big. And I've experienced that with members of the trend city where I'm like, gosh, they're really quiet. And then I get messages saying, this community has changed my life. And I'm like, wow, stuff is happening behind the scenes that like, I don't realize because we're so focused on the data and the likes and how often someone logs in. But actually the value Sometimes it's very hard to quantify.
0: It is. It's very hard with community. I've talked about this before, so I'll be brief, but I just have have to take the opportunity. But community metrics are not figured out yet by any means. And I recently interviewed Mathilde over in the Circle community. She's the head of community there. But I think her episode's coming out after... Ugh, I love her. Her episode's coming out after yours, actually. So... For anybody listening, stay tuned for that one. But we talk a lot about how um, the evolution of like how you determine if a community is valuable through metrics is very much based on the product world and the tech startup world. And it's not quite there. Like it's not the same thing. Community as a product is not the same as software as a product. And so your engagement metrics are just a piece of the puzzle. And it can be really hard. It can be hard to know like the health of your community depending on the way most people interact with said community. So to your point, like if you're, it sounds to me like what you're saying is your members are used to kind of like consuming versus the interaction on a post type thing. So maybe it seems like no one's there, but in reality, they're doing what you do at work, which is reading it, analyzing, thinking, that kind of thing, and not necessarily feeling obliged to then like... Yeah.
2: Our community, we're thinkers, total thinkers, total artists, creatives, intellectuals. That's totally our profile. We need time for introspection.
0: That's interesting. Do you find with your community, is there a specific type of programming that does result in engagement? Like I guess I know you do live events. I think you just did an in-person event. Did that just happen?
2: No, we're planning on one. Ah. It's not finalized at all, but like I, it's time. It's really time that we meet in person yeah, we do live events and it's quite varied, the ones that do really well. Sometimes we'll have a guest, like we had a journalist, a fashion journalist called Kish Lal, who talks a lot about trends and is essentially a bit like a forecaster herself and works for really big magazines. She came to speak to us. That was really popular. Depending on the topic as well, like some... Some topics like earlier this year when we did, when our first quarter was focused on the metaverse and what we call meta objects, people love that. But then right now we're focusing on degrowth and capitalism futures. And people are really engaging with that and wanted us to request it a follow-up workshop. So we were delivering that. So I'm finding it hard to really pinpoint what drives more engagement. But a recent project we're doing, which is that a commitment we gave to ourselves at the end of last year through a survey, we kind of discussed as a community what we want to do. We decided that we want to put out a collective future foresight report. Early next year. And so I decided, okay, so this needs to be a co-design collective journey, something that is a learning journey, something that is a pilot program. So anyway, we're putting that together and the excitement is very palpable. So I think I'm learning that actually putting members really at, at the center of what's happening in the community and putting them in the driver's seat is possibly this is what we're sort of, this is the new phase really at the center. Because in the beginning, I was like, "Wait, we're charging people. We shouldn't be giving them things to do." But now, actually, people are like revving up. They're like, "No, no, no. I want to be at the center of this." So it's, it's. I'm happy that we took a type of slow approach. That we only open like once a year. We might do a flash opening soon. Like, I'm happy that we, we do it that way because it gave us a chance to iterate and really develop.
0: Yeah, I mean, what little I know about your community, to me, the collective working on research, a survey, that kind of thing, it sounds like, yeah, like chef's kiss. That is probably what gets everyone going and is very exciting because it's also, there's a lot of value in being in the room, right? With a lot of like-minded people and working on that and learning other people's styles and getting to kind of, like you mentioned earlier, it can be a lonely job. When you're independent, so getting to, you know, have a team, a group to work with, that sounds fascinating. And also just the ability to see other people's styles and just how they do things. I could see people being really excited about doing collaborative projects like that. And even with a a paid membership, right?
2: Yeah, because a lot of the methods that we use in Foresight have been very helpful, but they're also very traditional and they're also part of what got us into this mess in the first place because as forecasters and futurists, we have the eyes and ears of decision makers in big companies and institutions, also governments. Governments work a lot with futurists. It's important that we take seriously our influence, our power of influence. And we realize that the way, you know, the same way you talked about community metrics that are different, like we need to change our metrics because the world is changing. And we need to, to change the way we value a trend. Is a trend worthy because it's the hot new color or is a trend worthy because it's urgent and it's right for the planet or right for some kind you know so we're, these are the things that we're questioning and i'm finding that our members this has been like a major catalyst for them they're like yeah this is it this has been like the the call to action kind of thing
0: As someone who's not involved in it at all, it's so exciting to hear that this is happening because I think of the fashion industry and I just think of (laughs) honestly, I just think it's, it's a very dirty industry. Fast fashion is horrible and it's just getting easier to get. Like as someone who lives on a mountain and loves the outdoors and just wants the planet to survive human invasion, (laughs) you know, it, it makes my little. You know, hippie heart happy to know that this is a part of where consumerism is going and the the quote unquote trend of sustainability is not a trend. It's a shift in mindset, like globally. You're willing to challenge the norms and say, Cool, we've done it this way for a while. It doesn't work anymore. Thank you for your service. We're gonna do it this way now. And we're gonna focus on you know what's what's meaningful for a trend, like you said, not the new hot color, but instead, like, is this the right thing to do?
2: <laughs> and I'm hoping that our our members who have struggled to convince their clients that they need to only work with sustainable suppliers, or uh, that sustainability is not just about materials, it's very much about how you treat people and workers, etc. I'm hoping that by being part of a collective that shares methodologies, shares ways of broadcasting these things, shares the latest expertise, because when you do these forecasts, people, you have to deliver expertise. So we share as much as we can to deliver a strong message. And I'm hoping that by being part of that collective, our members are really growing in confidence because many of us are part of the system that we're trying to fix. So it's not easy. But if we get louder and louder, and I mean that in a gentle way, but if we become more and more convinced and have a very convincing message, that makes the difference.
0: Absolutely. And it's always going to be a fine line, right? Like we were talking about changing a shift and people wanting to work for a big giant corporation and the like kind of capitalist machine, but also we need to make money. So it's not like you can just walk away for money and revenue you can't right and, and to your point like you charge a membership you need to make a revenue to to live and to and to keep the membership going it's kind of like we don't want to be over here with this big company thinking but we still need to be in the general orbit of revenue to then bring things forward
2: there's nothing to be ashamed about like making money from something for the greater good I mean, of course, there are different business model, you know, we could have been focusing on funding and partnerships and things like that. But that would have probably meant for me, at least for now, until we grow more, to give up my consultancy, and I'm not willing to give up my own private consultancy. So, you know, everyone makes choices, but, you know, I'm just saying this today, things that I'm sure will change and evolve, but... You know we have some members that might work in marketing say they join the community for example they're looking for the most innovative voices they find someone who's really making a difference they put them in a campaign this changes the messages of their brand the positioning of their brand and puts them on a new trajectory you know like this is powerful stuff and it generates new stories uh, for brands and and ultimately also some income for other people so i think There's nothing to be ashamed about saying, you know, what I do actually develops people personally, but also professionally and makes money for other people. And that's okay. And I need to embody that because that's also what I'm telling the members, like charge what you're worth. So
0: plus you're creating, I mean, it's a catalyst. You're creating a place for the future, the next generation, the next futurist, everything to, to come in and have the path paved in this direction. You're one of the foundational voices to say, hey, you know, we need to pivot the way we think. So, you know, I I think it's wonderful. It's all great.
2: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm part of a new wave. It's not just the Trend Atelier. There's a wave, you know, it's always like that. But I, I think it's really exciting. And I feel pretty emboldened. And I feel so inspired by our members as well. So,
0: yeah and and to your point like it's okay to make money like we're talking like being able to run your own life or company or however you do it is one thing we're not talking about like making money like i'm gonna buy my third yacht (laughs) like there's a huge difference in like the the money mindset
2: no (laughs) we're not talking about like i'm gonna move this bridge in order to move my yacht like someone with (laughs) the last name Bessos did this year Uh, (laughs) don't get me started yeah No, we're not looking at that kind of money. No, no. We're talking
0: about changing the world, but also having a roof over our head. It's, you know, amazing.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: So before we get to the fun rapid fire, I did just want to touch on, you mentioned briefly, but I kind of want to dig into this. You, in your community, you do sort of, I'm probably saying the wrong terminology, but like kind of like a quarterly trend, it sounds like. So you did like a metaverse Quarter, Like, tell me more about how you came up with this sort of what I would call like programming topics. Like what inspired having these kind of like chunks of like, hey, for this month, we're going to focus on what's called the metaverse.
2: When we first started, we had a theme per month and one event a week. And that was hard to sustain. I think sometimes when you start out, you kind of want to over deliver. And so we covered a lot in 2021 and it was amazing, but it was also like, I have to say a bit exhausting for me by the end of the year. And then I started to notice that people were starting to to find it a little bit too much for them as well. And, you know, it's not good to have a community where people feel they're missing out because they can't ever join the events or things like that, even though we have, obviously we have replays. So it was luckily we didn't have a big issue, but I could somehow feel into it that, you know, I needed to kind of shift. And so we did the survey and we said like, how do you feel about doing these same themes, but spreading them out over a quarter so that we can go deeper into them? Because the other thing we noticed is that we didn't have a chance to go deep enough in each theme. We came up with a couple of ideas. We proposed ideas. We always like in our surveys, we propose things and then ask people to contribute. We'll have a follow-up meeting as well to sort of like discuss survey results and, and crystallize our decisions. So anyways, the programming ended up being a quarterly theme. And I guess that's not that different from Other DAOs have like seasons and even trend forecasting agencies in fashion will forecast the season. But anyway, so that was great because through the quarterly theme, then I was like, okay, I can breathe a little bit more and stop overloading the community with like a weekly event, focus more on quality guests. We can have one quality guest a quarter. We can have one workshop a quarter. And then we can have one like insane future vision presentation a quarter. And so far it's worked really well. And what we've done is that we kind of improvise. So when we reopen the community, we noticed we obviously had to add on some like member meetups and like icebreakers and, and celebrations, like obviously things move around, but that's essentially the programming. And then the school, Students have access to a section of the community that is included in their enrollment, and they have a live session a month. Paying members can attend these sessions. So it shows up on their event scheduling, and each session will discuss like something very tangible for people who are more like students of the community. Some of them are professionals too, but like very literal, like how do I organize my future trend research? Or how does intuition play a role in future forecasting? You know, things like that, that are maybe a little bit less high level than like, how do I forecast sustainably with a whole new foresight methodology type thing? So I hope that answers your question in terms of the programming. It does. Yeah.
0: I really like how you do the surveying. So asking for myself, <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. So do you like send the survey via email or do you just drop it in the community and give a deadline on when to submit the results? And then you already have that follow-up meeting scheduled. So it's kind of like a one-two or what's... Tell me, tell me about the details.
2: <laughs> Both because we found that some people this is the part where it gets challenging. Some people don't see all the posts in the community and some people don't read their emails. We have a weekly email that we send religiously every Friday around the same time. And it'll be a recap of important things in the community, the upcoming events, stuff like that. So we post the survey in the community and then we'll post a reminder And then we'll post maybe a final reminder. And that kind of is twinned in the newsletter, not maybe exactly with the same term. And then we'll, yeah, we'll close it at some stage. We'll close it. And then we'll schedule the follow-up event. And we're very transparent from the get-go that this will have a follow-up event. We're not going to make huge decisions just only based on a survey, that there will be like live conversations as well.
0: I love that. That's a smart way to do it. We haven't done a survey for a while in pro. Maybe I'll, maybe this is the this is the sign that it's time for another survey. I may be emailing you to be like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to to give you any input. But I'm the one who's like loves what you do. So <laughs> Oh.
0: Well maybe yeah, maybe we should just we'll just schedule a coffee chat and yeah. we can ask each other questions.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
0: the power of community right there. Okay. Final question about all the wonderful work you're doing. And then we're going to go into the rapid fire, which I'm very excited about as well. I'm just curious from your perspective, like what's something really exciting in your world that you're excited about as far as just stuff going on or stuff that you think is going to happen in the future. Give us some insight into kind of what you're researching, what you're excited about right now. It can be anything. It's a big question. I know.
2: I'm excited about the potential for web three, although I'm concerned about the lack of ethical sort of guidance and things happening. So I'm, but I'm really excited about the creative renaissance that we're seeing in the creative industries of the designers and artists that are designing for digital medium. It's, that's like really amazing. And it's, it's fascinating to see even artists create NFTs and then, create a matching physical piece of art that matches the NFT. And I'm excited about also obviously web 3's potential to just really get rid of a lot of the gatekeeping. I even just saw, yes, uh, I think today or yesterday, I was watching a TED talk of this guy who bought like 600 acres of land in Wyoming with a DAO. I mean, they raise so much money, you know, you have DAOs buying basketball teams and things like that. So this idea now that you could pull talent from around the world is like really insane and sometimes a little bit scary Mm -hmm. because it's like, why do I even matter anymore? (laughs) What really fascinates me is also a sort of adjacent, but connected more and more designers designing with the help of AI or, you know, lately there's been like the whole Dolly thing went viral where OpenAI is like creating these visuals. And so that has both great and really scary potential. So I guess it's about taking a balanced view of the future, but I'm also just really passionate about decarbonization, just like in uh, people who are at the forefront of trying to completely disrupt the supply chain model in a fashion. Like um, next month, I'm interviewing people who've created a micro factory in the UK and are doing like in London and are doing amazing work and completely like redefining how you could make your clothing like you might Download the pattern of a dress and like pick the material and get it made at this local micro factory. So I, I'm like fascinated with this idea of what are called fab labs or maker centers that are more local and just, you know, combining these new technologies, but also just with the philosophies that our grandparents had. Mm-hmm just make the stuff yourself repair it yourself and like that being a potential avenue for brand new profit models and like buying less doesn't mean that we're going to live in a cave and have nothing you know sorry i rambled but i i this is just like really the tip of the iceberg of the things i look at only because i look at societal shifts i have to often look at a bit of science, philosophy. Like sometimes my head feels so jumbled that at night, all I want to do is watch like the cheesiest TV show. Like I'm not listening to serious podcasts at night. I'm like watching the Dodo YouTube channel, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, I agree completely. I often do the same or my daughter and I will watch like craft tutorials on YouTube just to like escape. (laughs) It's so funny that the like makerspace, that wasn't what you called it, but that idea, the micro, what did you call it? It wasn't micro warehouse. There's a, a
2: micro factory, but there's also this notion of fab labs, which yes, are fab Lab. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a
0: great name. It's, but it's funny you mentioned that because when we were earlier in the conversation, you're talking about, you know, just, sustainability topics in general. And I was, it got me in the back of my head. I started thinking about, Oh, kind of like Patagonia, you can send things in to get repaired, or you can send in things you no longer use. And they upcycle them into new, like a vest, or they take the materials they can still use and repurpose. And I, I personally, I'm a huge fan of Patagonia where I live. It's a very popular brand because it's an outdoorsy brand. People like to call it Patagucci because it's very expensive, but I still have Patagonia items that I bought in high school and I went to high school in a different century than we are in now. So, I mean, talk about like where it's, um, so, you know, whatever people think about Patagonia, but it got me thinking also about the idea of like a cobbler or like a zipper repair place. Like those used to be so common and they've, they've gotten less and less. They kind of, I feel like, and maybe they didn't, it was just me, but it felt like they went away, at least places where I like, I live in a small ski town. So it's, it's not the same as living in like a city, but I've noticed a resurgence. I've noticed more repair services, even where I live and it's exciting. And there's a shift. I know, you know, I'm a very, like very into like creating art and like crafty things. And I've noticed a huge resurgence in things like darning and visible and invisible mending. And like these things that (laughs) my, my partner's my partner's grandma, I remember once asking her about darning because I was interested in learning how. And she was like, oh, no, just buy new socks. Like she was so like, no, I had to do it way too much. I'm never doing <laughs> it again. Why would you but, ever want? Yeah. She's like, Why would you do that? Just go buy a new pair of socks. But it is there's this kind of I think we're going back, like you were saying, to like what our grandparents did. And Oh, yeah. There's
2: there's amazing things being done with darning. I just wrote a whole piece of, of fashion repair as a form of healing. I do a monthly column for a magazine called Spur it's a big fashion magazine in japan and so it's 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 published in japanese they translate it but i just did a whole piece on that and actually speaking of patagonia they had done a whole collaboration with i fix it who now have all these tutorials on how to fix your clothing how to like upcycle your clothing turn a shirt into a dress or you know like just all these things and i i really believe in that because Imagine even going back to the micro factory and this is like just to give you an idea, this is what we kind of do as futurists, we're we're trying to show the possibilities. Imagine if if a Patagonia partners with a microfactory making one of their beanies or something like that open source. And then all of a sudden you can make your own Patagonia beanie in this micro factory. That's a whole new business model. And obviously fashion brands, they're also gatekeepers. They're afraid of, but all that is changing and yeah, it's exciting times. So I get quite excited about fashion because I think it's it's a great place to really experiment with a lot of things actually happening in society.
0: It is. I love it. Ah, okay, see, this always happens right at the end. I'm like, there's this one random thing I want to ask you about. And it's like, let's talk for 45 more minutes about darning. <laughs> but if anybody listening happens to run like a like an online school that is not on Facebook, that teaches embroidery and darning and those skills, please email me because I would like to Take your classes. So it's just, I'm currently deep in this learning how to do this and I'm not very good at it.
2: <laughs> That's okay. Oh, well, I wish you were in London because um, there's a whole event about that. And they have like weekly <laughs> workshops that they're doing. Yeah.
0: It is on my it's my answer for something on my bucket list that I haven't done but want to is live in London for a while and maybe just straight to Scotland. But yeah, London would be it's my favorite city.
2: If you love nature, yeah, then Scotland makes sense. <laughs>
0: I just love I just love London so much. Like if if there's a city to live in, it it is London in my opinion. Okay. Well, Geraldine, we could obviously talk forever. Let's let's go into the rapid fire and then we'll close it out with where to find you. So, first question. I can't wait to hear the answer to this. Geraldine, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: I wanted to be a vet in the jungle. Oh. And a parachute jumper.
0: You could parachute into the jungle. To take care (laughs) of the jungle cats. I
2: wanted to do these two things I remember quite clearly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. How do you define community?
2: Community is kinship and people coming together, willing to make themselves vulnerable also, and really grow professionally and personally also through community. Okay.
0: What is something on your quote unquote bucket list that you have done
2: in your life? I I lived in Tanzania for three months. I always had a big dream of spending time in, in Africa somewhere. I, I just really love African art and culture. And so I got to work there for three months and so that was on my bucket list. And yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. Speaking of textiles, African textiles are, and I realize Africa is a continent, but different different, Like, Kenyan, Tanzanian, like, all the different textiles out of the continent of Africa. I love them all. They're so beautiful. Okay, and then the flip question. What is something on this bucket list that you have not yet done
2: and hope to do? Gosh, a uh, really good question. Jump from a plane. <laughs> to back to the parachute. Somehow the jumping <laughs> thing it hasn't been done yet. It's still there. <laughs> and uh, No, no, but one of the things... I don't even know how to answer this question. It's embarrassing, but I guess what's on my bucket list is to I'd like to really learn how to grow my own vegetables and really understand how to be able to live quite sustainably and independently, even in the city. I feel like I talk about these things and I think about these things, but I actually know very little about gardening even. And my father actually has a degree in organic farming. And I do know about it, something in the family. It clearly runs in the family and I have a green thumb, but I really would love to like everything from water containers, water and catchment. Like if I had the chance to build a house from scratch and put all of these things into action, that would be like for me, a major achievement. And my partner and I are, you know, we discussed this. We kind of met and bonded over the love of tiny homes. So like that kind of gives you an idea.
0: I love it. Have you ever, are you familiar with earth ships? The, yes. That like building yes. style? Those look yeah. Amazing. So yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That's also
2: on my bucket list. Live in an earth ship. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Next level. That's like next level.
0: <laughs> I know it's a, that's a big one. We'll see. Okay, what is a book that you just love or just wish everybody would read? Any sort of like just top, top book. It can be fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter.
2: I was thinking about that because I guess on a like sustainable fashion level, a book I've really loved, I have it here. It's called Waste Age. And it's basically the book based on the exhibition at the Design Museum here in London. And if anyone can get their hands on it. But in terms of like being a business owner or creative myself, like I love Adam Grant and his book Originals had a big influence on me and I know I, and I recommend it and everybody who reads it loves it. But also his latest book, Think Again is amazing because it's about how leaders should question themselves and that the greatest leaders are ones that are able to question themselves and adam grant is also someone who is a bit of a a data geek so it's not just these woo woo nice ideas it's like there's a lot of research data that goes behind that case studies and it's really inspiring
0: i love that yep everybody should think again
2: yeah (laughs) yeah it's a really good book I actually listen to Think Again, so it's actually on Audible for those who like to listen to books. I love to listen.
0: Jeff has to pay for his rocket trip, so we'll keep. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Geraldine, so I know you were born in Paris. You've lived in the U.S. You live in the U.K. We just found out you lived in Tanzania. You've lived a lot of places, so if you could live anywhere else in the world, <laughs> where would you go?
2: if I could live anywhere else in the world, I have to say that I'm half American. My mother is American, hence the accent. And I have a really deep love for like Arizona, Utah. I know that the heat is probably too much for me there, but whenever I've traveled through there because I lived in New York and then I lived in LA for six years, I used to do these road trips and I just always felt at home there, even. New Mexico like these areas there's just something about the landscapes there and and the, the ancient cultures I'm just like feel a really strong connection with and I've always dreamt of of somehow having a type of desert life at some stage
0: I feel that way about New Mexico it's just so cool it's not cool literally like temperature but it's it's just such a cool again and like from an art perspective I just love there's these little like art communities that are just so cool. It's a fun. There's also some real interesting <laughs> parts, but you know, that's life. But what a great place to live in an earth ship. Yes, Speaking yeah, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all coming together. You could parachute down. Be great. Okay. And final question, Geraldine, how do you want to be remembered?
2: I want to be, gosh, these are tough questions. I always find it hard to talk about myself in a way. Like it's kind of like, I'm modest to a fault sometimes. Like I'm I am and I'm not. It's a weird combo. I'd love to be remembered as someone who believed in others, who believed in everyone. I'd love to be someone remembered as, oh, when I was interacting with Geraldine, she gave me the strength to believe in myself to do XYZ or I never ever thought that I would actually care so much about teaching, but then it makes sense because I do come from a lineage of teachers. But I do care about passing on knowledge in a way that feels empowering, not just to learn more facts. So I'd love to be remembered as someone that, you know, saw you. I see you. I see your talent. I see where you need to perhaps grow. And whatever, because that experience has helped me grow tremendously. Like people don't realize how much I get out of this as well. It's like a two-way road. So I hope I can be remembered for someone who cared in that way.
0: We need more people with that mindset.
2: And obviously, yeah, I hope I can be remembered as someone who helped the sustainable, like creating sustainable systems agenda. But I guess the other one is ultimately the more sort of human to a human one,
0: I feel like they can overlap. They can exist together. I feel like your life purpose, if you will, is almost to just be like a, you're like a beacon. You're like the light that people can use as like a as a guide guide on their on their journey.
2: I feel like a lot of people who start communities maybe had those same people in their lives who made a difference for them and then we kind of want to mirror and give back somehow. All of a sudden, our life's purpose is to mirror that. And some people just feel more strongly about it than others.
0: I think you're right. There's something really interesting about people who are drawn to community building and like for the right reasons, people who genuinely are like natural community builders and love creating environments and situations for other people to better themselves in whatever capacity that is. I mean, I think, honestly, I think it's a, it's a really special kind of, view on life and also just like experiences in life to to be like that. I don't really know how to like explain it, obviously very, very well, but there's there's something interesting just speaking with different community builders on this show. Like I just see so many similarities and the type of people that get into it and what drives us as, you know, humans, not necessarily careers or anything like that, but just as like humans in, in a society, it's, it's fascinating.
2: And I feel the misconception is to think that we're overly social people, that we love being in groups all the time. It's also not that either. So it's like (laughs) really, really all these, like, it's a very nuanced sort of profile.
0: It really is. It really is. People are always surprised. A lot of community builders are introverted and not necessarily like on the scale, just kind of lean to introverted, like me at a party is very different than me hosting a an event online and pro, you know, like, it's one thing to be standing in this room by myself, like welcome, you know, and having that kind of energy versus going into a situation with a bunch of people that I find really draining. Uh, People are always surprised by that. But it's true. Anyways, Geraldine, this has been so fun. I I like I'm going to be thinking about parts of this conversation all day, and I'm looking forward to it because I'm going to be headed out to my garden where I'm terrible at growing food, but I can grow a wildflower <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, and a weed. Oh my goodness. I can grow a weed like no one else. Where can the audience learn more about you, about your community, everything? What are your, what are your internet links that you would like to share?
2: So our website is thetrendatelier.com. And on Instagram, we're known as the Trend Atelier. But then there's also me, which is GeraldineWorry.com. And my Instagram is Trend Atelier by Geraldine Worry. And I tend to be much more active on Instagram, although lately I've been doing more on LinkedIn as well. And I'm just, just go by my name for LinkedIn.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We can't wait to hear what's next in the future of futurism I'm still getting all the terms wrong but I hope you know what I mean it's very exciting and definitely we'll be following your Instagram and please keep posting about all the like good news things that are happening with sustainability and whatnot
2: yeah thanks so much for having me it's it's been really great exchanging with you
0: And that's the interview. Holy smokes, we talked a lot because, you know, you get two people together that want to geek out over the same things and and that's what happens. But man, I just love talking to people who are building community in a very niche area of expertise, which is what I would call this for sure, because it's just it's fascinating, but it's also so needed, I think. And when when someone is able to you know, have the authority, like someone like Geraldine, and have those people in their audience. And, you know, however it is, I mean, she does a lot of consulting and speaking. So it's natural that she'd be fairly well known in this industry and in this niche of this industry. So yeah, just chef's kiss. It's like the perfect magical recipe to create such a wonderful community. And I hope anybody listening who is in sort of an adjacent type situation where maybe there could be this niche version of community, especially if it's impacting the, the world for good, super bonus points, gold stars for that, to create that and to, to give people who are in that mindset a place to come together and collaborate and help each other out and mentor and mentee and just all of it. This is why I love community. One of the many reasons, one of the big ones. This is the magic that I love to see happen. I really love everything. (laughs) Everything Geraldine was describing about her community, but especially about the evolution. She started saying they started with a monthly topic and then a a live event that had to do with it. And it just quickly for both sides got just, it was too much. And they were just scratching the surface. And so Geraldine recognized this, put out a survey, was great about communicating the survey to get a lot of interaction, and then had a follow-up call, as she said, to kind of crystallize what the move forward was. And collectively, they agreed on quarterly themes and having maybe less is more, but also higher quality. So that really amazing guest once a quarter, really well done presentation a very well thought out workshop, like yes. And then allowing people who naturally want to dig deeper, be curious, giving them that time because now they have a quarter instead of a month. Like that is fantastic and a way to listen to your community, the so, like, top thing I like to talk about is it I mean, I like to talk about a lot of things, right. But listening to your members, asking your members is something I give new community builders is a piece of advice I give new community builders all the time, because there is definitely a difference between a community and a group of people following you. And you want a community. So that means member led. Also, to that point, I think Geraldine's hesitation to put out kind of like a project because it's like, ooh, this is a paid community. Should I be asking people to do work? But in the instance of what type of community this is, the type of people that join, it made great sense. And obviously, yes, because everyone was super excited to be involved. And also, if someone wasn't, if they're like, ooh, that sounds like work and that's not what I want to do here, they don't have to. But I love this collective research and putting together this piece of work together. It sounds like people were super jazzed about it. And it makes a lot of sense. And I hope it goes well and that they can do more things like that in the future. Because I just picture the person who's trying to make it on their own independently in this field and having those sort of like working relationships, the being able to work in a group and learn other people's styles and ideas. I think that's just so valuable. Um, so I'm excited to hear more about how that goes as they do that. And I was incorrect. I thought they'd had just had their in-person event but I think it's it's still in the works it sounds like and that's something that at spi we are also like yep it's time and so we're trying to figure out what that looks like how do you keep it safe how do we as a global community a little different instead of us hosting one one event not to say that's what Geraldine is doing but for us we would be hosting lots of smaller events around the globe, but having our members host them and us support. So what does that look like? What are the guidelines? Should people be vaccinated? Is that a like absolute requirement, which it is for our company, but you know, just thinking through that kind of stuff. Also the tiers. We didn't really talk about it too much. Hopefully you caught it, but I love how she's doing tiers in her community. So her students, if you didn't catch it, her students have access to an area in the community, and that's the only part of the community they have access to. But then the paying community members have access to the community and also that student area. So they can see the monthly event that happens for students and participate. This is a great way to then turn, convert, I should say, turn convert those students into community members when they're done with whichever, you know, of her courses they're going through. It also helps establish relationships between the students and the community members. Uh, We kind of have a similar thing with our learner community, which is no application. You can just pay and join, it's in our academy space. And then we also have our pro community, which there's an application, it's a higher price point, but all of our pros have access to the learner community as part of their membership. So same sort of thing, they can create relationships. They can also kind of be kind of like an inspiration to people in the learner community because they're just farther along to see like, oh yeah, this is real. People can do this. We also have them do expert events in learner. I shouldn't say have, we don't have them. It's voluntary, but it's an opportunity for pro members who want to teach, want to participate and be an expert in the learner community to show, you know, kind of like teach what you know sort of situation. They can do that in learner as an expert, And so then they get more awareness about the things they do, a little more authority in their field within our expanse of community, but also are, you know, they get an opportunity to interact with the learner community and and vice versa. The learners have an opportunity to interact with people in our pro membership and get an idea of what it's like a little bit, right? Love to see that there are tiers. I think that's really smart for what Geraldine's doing um, to have both of those in the same place. And yeah, I have so many things to go Google. I don't know about you, but key takeaway is identifying, hey, there's this group of people. It's kind of lonely individual work. What if there was a community where we could all talk about the kind of work we do and talk about trends and talk about things that are happening uh, and now, you know, work on research together, collaborate and and just kind of have this amazing like think share to go to. I love it. If you're doing something similar, I'd love to hear about it. You can tag me on Twitter at Jillian Benbow at Team SPI. And yeah, that's it for this week. We will see you next Tuesday. You can find Geraldine all over the internet. The community is trendatlier.com. That is the word trend, A-T-E-L-I-E-R.com. Same on Instagram. And if you want to follow Geraldine specifically on Instagram, she is at trendatelier by Geraldine Wari, all one word. And of course, on LinkedIn, find her at Geraldine Wari. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.